God is good. And all the time, do you really believe it? Boy, that was weak. Do you really believe it? That's why we're here today. That's why we're not lazing out on a beach somewhere. There are, I mean, we live in Southern California. Every day there's an opportunity to do something fun. And you guys waste your Sunday by coming to church. Why? Because we genuinely believe that God is good. And we believe that God is good all the time. It's not just a rhythmic call and response. It's a lived reality. If we truly know God, have you ever thought about the radical nature of that claim? I know God. And yet, that is the claim that we make that draws us to this place every Sunday morning. That is the call that draws us into our community groups. That we know God and we are known by God. That's real. And that's good. Now, just one, one note of clarification. My name is simply Daniel Newman. My name is not doctor. So just Daniel Newman. And so, and so that's, that, that's all. I'm nobody special. Uh, my parents didn't freak out when they named me and find somebody in the hospital. And they said doctor, and that went on my birth certificate. Um, but life lived with Christ is a life that is good. I believe that with all of my being. And so today, we turn to the scripture that I hope most of us have memorized. If you haven't, I would encourage you to, because it's a verse that speaks to something that we don't always feel. And it is found in the book of Romans, the 8th chapter, and the 28th verse. And this is what it says. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. We know. Not we think. Not we hope. Not we say, but aren't quite sure. We know, we have a conviction of the truth of this verse. So let me back up and ask you guys a few questions about your lives today, where you're at, how you're doing. Anybody in the past week, had some struggles. Maybe it's present tense. You're having some struggles. Maybe you look at the future and say, boy, I can see him coming. Anybody here having struggles of any kind? How many of us have had, are having, or anticipate having some kind of stress in life? 
Okay, some of you are starting school again. <laughs> no stress there. Some of us have new children. Some of us have children. <laughs> no stress there. Work. No stress there. No, there's, there's stress. There's always some, some sort of stress going on in life. How many of us have had, are having, or see in the future frustration over our apparent lack of growth? Our lack of growth spiritually. As the people of God, we say one thing, but we live another. Do you ever get Do you ever get frustrated? I mean, that's it's a good Korean word. It's kind of hard to translate the, 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 the stuffiness, anxiety, frustration, kind of all rolled into one, you know? And so it, it, it's, it, ah! <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's a better <laughs> translation. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we feel this thing in us that I should be doing better and I know it. And I'm not. And that frustrates me. That hurts me. God, why do I keep screwing up? Why do I keep doing the same thing over and over and over again? Our failures, our character flaws, failings in church, failings in our prayer life, failings in serving, Failure to love my brother or sister. Failure to love my husband or wife. Failure to love my children or my parents. Failure to love my coworkers. I know I'm supposed to, but God, I'm such a mess. Hmm. I relate. The Apostle Paul said something that is utterly staggering. Again, if we can believe in God's goodness, we can believe this confession. He said, when we are weak, then we are strong. Why? Because when we come to the end of our strength, we begin to lean on the strength of Christ in me. When we run out of our ability, we have nowhere to turn but to God himself. And so we read this verse once more. And we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. If you are here today, I proclaim to you, if you don't know it, you are called according to the purpose of God. You're not here by accident. You're not here, here because you're just such a goody two-shoes. You're not here because it's a tradition or force of habit. As we heard the call to worship this morning, that is God inviting us. But there was a precursor to that call. God called you when you woke up this morning and said, I'm making a way for you to meet with me and my people today. 
And you responded to that call. So you are called according to God's purposes to be in this place today. To hear what God would speak to you today. To listen for his voice amidst all of the voices that are surrounding you, even in this moment. I know what it's like to sit there. I do that a lot of times too. And there are voices, voices from different worlds. I'm a front rower. I always sit up front because when I sit in, in, in the back, I hear the voices. I see someone nodding off and I say, uh-huh, I know what you were doing last night. I look around to see who's having a bad hair day. See, I can't sit in the back. You guys who are in the back, God bless you. You amaze me. There are too many voices. There are too many distractions. Even when we are supposed to be at our best before God in the place of worship, there are too many distracting voices. And we see our sin. We see our fallenness. We see our weaknesses. We see our shortcomings. And they can frustrate us. The letter to the Romans was written to a church of Jews and Gentiles. It was a multi-ethnic church. These aren't new things, new entities just created recently. They've been around from the beginning. As a matter of fact, how to get people together has been a problem in the church from the very beginning. Even how do you get Jews and Jews together? Because you had the Jews of the diaspora, those who didn't live in Jerusalem, who were scattered throughout the Roman Empire, and they spoke the language of the day. They didn't necessarily speak the Hebrew language of the fatherland. Hmm, sound familiar? Motherland, maybe I should say. And, and, and then there were the Hebraic Jews who lived all together in Jerusalem. And the first church fight that came about, came about as a result of these two Jewish groups. One was saying the, the, the scattered Jews, the diaspora Jew widows, aren't getting the same treatment as the Hebraic widows. And it, and it was going to cause a division in the church. And so the, the disciples met and they prayed, how can we deal with this in the book of Acts? That was a church at Rome. Rome is where all roads led. We have that expression, all roads lead to Rome. Because all roads ended up in Rome, which was the place of authority and power of the day. And that was a church that Paul wrote this letter to. You've got different religions. You've got the Roman emperor cult, which everyone was supposed to bow down to. Somehow the Jewish tradition had gotten an exemption from that. They were the one religion that didn't have to also participate in the emperor cult. And so that really, I'm, I'm really going in a different direction here, but <laughs> that really opened up the road for Christianity to grow and spread because it was under Judaism. You guys know that we started as a, as, as a sect, right? We were a, a sect of Judaism. And so, it, but that allowed the freedom of Christianity to spread and to hold true to the way of Jesus. And so there were many religions in Rome 
There were many ethnicities in Rome. There were many social statuses in Rome. How can this church become one? And Paul is talking to this kind of a group of people, trying to give them a new vision. Not what does it mean to be Roman or Jewish, Greek. What does it mean to belong to God and to God's people? And in this letter, he begins with, with that, that concept, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because in it, a power of God for salvation has been revealed. In it, a new life is formed that supersedes all other life. New relationships come into being. That didn't exist before. We care about people that we didn't care about before. What has Jerusalem to do with Rome? They are one in this new kingdom, in this new way of thinking, in this new life that has been wrought through the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. A righteousness that is by faith has been revealed. Not something that we do. Not something that we conjure up. Not something that we control. How many of you are control freaks? How many of you have control problems? You know, I, keep your hands down. It's okay. <laughs> See, I, I know who they are because somebody next to them is holding their hand down. <laughs> the one holding the hand down has a control problem. We, we want to control. What is it that we want to control? We want to control things around us. Why? So we get our way. Because obviously I know better than you. Obviously my way is better than your way. Why? Because I thought of it. That tends to be the best reason that we could give. Unless we're ready to say, because I'm smarter than you, dummy. And even though you may think that, you don't want to say it. We want to control, but God says you can't. You cannot control your salvation. It does not rest on you. You cannot control your relationship with God. It does not rest on you. It rests on the goodness of God himself. The love of one whom we were at war with. And so Romans talks about how we are essentially messed up, each and every one of us. There is none righteous, no, not one. No one who seeks God. The wages of sin is, let me try this again. The wages of sin is, right, the way, so that's what we are. That's, that's what Romans is arguing. We are dead. Of course, Romans 6, 23 then follows that. The wages of sin is death with a great theological word. What's that next word that comes out? But. That is a great theological word. 
Man, when we read that in scripture, get ready because something is going to change. There's something transformative. But the gift of God, not reward, because reward implies earning. Not payment, because payment replies, implies I've done something. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is a new life. It is not a temporal life. But let me tell you something about eternal life, brothers and sisters. If you were to define, let me ask a question. If you were to define eternal life, how would you define it? How would you define eternal life? Well, St. Peter is standing at the pearly gates. I stop by and check in. He says, good enough, or you don't make it. He opens the gate, if I made it. I go in, and there's streets of gold. And somewhere, I don't know how I'm going to find it, there's a house with my name on it, a mansion. And then, then what? Then what? Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, I find that a very pitiful definition of eternal life. Is, heaven's, is, is eternal life simply a glorified materialism? I don't think so. Why do you want to go to heaven? I sometimes travel, and when I'm traveling, I call home. Why do I call home? Because my wife is there. I look forward to going home. Why do I look forward to going home? Because my wife is there. It's not because, it, does, it doesn't matter if my house is big or if my house is small. It doesn't matter if I'm living in a one-bedroom apartment or a two-bedroom apartment. <laughs> it's not the place. It's the who. I want to go there because the one I love is there. If you don't love God, you're going to really probably not like heaven very much. You see, Jesus defined eternal life for us in his great priestly prayer in John 17. He said, this is eternal life, verse 3, that they may know you, the only true God, and your son whom you have sent. That's how Jesus defined eternal life for us. It's not, I get my pie in the sky when I die by and by. It is that we may know you, the only true God, and your son whom you have sent. Eternal life is about knowing Jesus. It is knowing God. It is that crazy claim that we talked about when I first opened up. We claim to know God. This is eternal life. When does that start, brothers and sisters? That starts here and now. Eternity has come and dwells among us today. It is not something that we wait for. It is something that God expects to impact your life and my life. When I am at work, when I am at home, 
when I am at leisure, when I am at church. Pastor Michael talked about integration being a key theme of a retreat that's coming up. It's not we check in on Sunday and check out Sunday afternoon and do what we want the rest of the week so we can repent when we get to church on Sunday again. Monday through Saturday is not about accumulating reasons for repentance. (laughs) It is about continuing eternal life, knowing God, knowing Jesus, the experience of Jesus with me. Far too often, I think that we have an obedience-based relationship with God. I'm going to repeat that, particularly if you are from a Confucian society, Korean is. It is all about who you have to listen to and who has to listen to you. You all know the Hyung complex, right? The older brother complex. Older brother will give you advice. Older brother will never ask you for advice. That is beneath him. We know that it is an obedience-based culture. It defines relationships by who has to obey who. And that has filtered into our Christianity. And so our relationship with God becomes, okay, God, what are your orders Even when we have our QTs, our our devotional times in the morning, how often are we looking for the principle that we have to follow? The principle that we have to obey instead of a faith, a, a relationship with God, not based on obedience, but based on love. You see, obedience is the fruit of love. Love is the goal of our faith. Obedience is not the goal of our faith. Sorry if I'm messing you up. But obedience is not the goal of your faith. Your relationship with God is the goal of your faith. Knowing God, walking with God, communing with God day by day. I'm driving in in my car. And I see a tree. Who grew that tree? I went up to the sequoias with my little brother a week and a half ago. Who grew those trees? God grew those trees. If I see beauty in them, I see God. God is not the tree. God is not in the tree. The beauty that the tree reflects, the wonder that the tree reflects, reflects God. I see God day by day, moment by moment. Brothers and sisters, I want you to just take a minute and look at the person sitting next to you. Okay, the other side. Those of you who aren't looking at someone else are looking at me. (laughs) Who did you just see? Who did you just see? Look again. Are you so blind? Do you not see? You just saw Jesus. You just saw Jesus reflected in that person sitting next to you. 
If we cannot learn to see that, we cannot learn to truly love and appreciate our brother and sister for who they are and what they bring to the community of faith. Repeat after me. God dwells in me. Say it one more time. God dwells in me. Look at the person next to you and say the same thing. God dwells in me. And now say, God dwells in you. Now pray, oh God, please help me to see. (laughs) You see, The wages of sin is death. This is something that we were in. But the gift of God is eternal life. So we've been brought into this new relationship where God is in control and not me. Where things are happening all around me, but they don't phase me. How many of you would would suggest that you are likely controlled by circumstances? Okay, let's be honest. (laughs) How many of you would confess that I am controlled by circumstances? Yeah, you know what? Something goes on around me and I get bummed. Something goes on around me and I get disappointed. I do something, I get disappointed. I get bummed. Circumstances control me. I would suggest to you that freedom for Christians is not having the ability to do what I want, when I want, where I want. Freedom is the ability to be who I am called to be regardless of circumstances. Circumstances don't control me. And this is where we come to today's verse, which says, we know We know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. If I am free, I can accept this as truth. But then we start wondering, is it really true? Does it really work? It makes me say, is that real? Is that true in my life, in your life? And this is where we're talking about eternal life being in us, us walking with God, us walking with one another. In all things, how many of you can think of some exceptions in your life? Yeah, no, this just totally sucked. We have those moments. And yet this scripture clearly says in all things. And I'll come back to this in a se- to the all things in just a second, but I, I want to jump ahead a couple of verse. It says, in all things, God, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purposes. Works for the good. This is, this is a... A good word. Um, we, we get our English word synergy from this word, sonageo. 
Um, it, it literally means co-labor, co-labor. So in all things, God co-labors for our good. You see? So in this sense, all things work together. All things, all things are co-laborers. This is a paradigm shift. Because then in our life, whatever happens, we are not looking at that, at that situation with a woe is me approach or why did this happen to me approach. But it's a, okay, this is going to be a co-worker for my growth, for my knowledge of God, for my love of brother. for my participation in the kingdom of God. You see, we're, we're called to something more. All things are co-workers for God to do in us what God desires to do in us. We have to kind of get away from me in this to get in, into God. Not how do I feel, what do I want? But God, who are you in this situation? Who are you revealing yourself to be? How do I know you? How do I understand you? How do I walk with you in this? How are you walking with me? Because I sure don't feel it. Because this hurts. What about when the car breaks down and you're stranded? That's real. What about when the kids are crying? And I don't know what to do to get them to stop. I was so thankful that my parents were still around. And I said, Mom and Dad, when we didn't stop crying, because I don't think it's unique to my, my own children, when we didn't stop crying, what did you do? Now, sometimes they hit you upside the head and knock you out. Well, that's not cool. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, how, what did you do to comfort? What did you do? Because I, I'm at wit's end. You know, our parents know a lot of tricks. I, I was frequently on the phone. What, what? That's real. What about when you're hurt because of a fight with someone you love, a spouse, a friend, a sibling? That's real. We've all been there. What about when the people at church that I trusted that give me all these beautiful visions and dreams what about when they disappoint me? I would ask you to raise your hand if you've ever been disappointed by the church, but I don't want to get depressed. <laughs> Some of you got that. Yeah. We get disappointed by the very entity that claims the knowledge of God, that claims the grace of God. Wow. Wow. What about when I can't seem to get anything right? I burn the chicken, the rice is mushy, and I forgot all of the side dishes. Oh, we all have moments in life when I'm stuck in the middle of rush hour traffic. These are all moments in life that are real, that we encounter, but God says, 
all things work together for the good of those who love him and been called according to his purposes. Unless we can learn the presence of Christ with us, in us, we'll never learn these things. This is real, brothers and sisters, and it is good. God is with us. God is with us. I got to jump over a couple of verses. Verse 31, the second half of the verse of chapter 8 of Romans says this. If God is for us, who can be against us? Can I have an amen? If God is for us, who can be against us? What's the obvious question in that statement? Is God for us? Because if God's not for me, I'm toast. Take that how you will. If God is not for me, I have no hope. But as the Holy Spirit is writing through the Apostle Paul, in this letter, he anticipates this very question. If God is for us, who can be against us? And so he answers it. He who did not spare his own son, in verse 32, but graciously gave him for us all, how will he not also along with him give us all things? The same thing that he just said, in all things, God will give us all things. You see, there's, there's something good here. There's something powerful here. There's something wondrous here. The Father is the one who sent the Son, amen? This tells us that God the Father is for you. God the Father is for us. If we go back a few verses, verse 26, it says this, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. What is this saying? God, the Holy Spirit, is for you. God, the Holy Spirit, is for us. And if we read verse 34, it says this, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of the Father and is also what? Interceding for us. God the Son is for you. Is God for me? Absolutely. 100%. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is for you. Repeat after me. God is for me. me. Now look at the person next to you and say, God is for us. Do you believe it? (laughs) Sorry, sometimes it just bursts out. God is for us. And so in all things, we do not have to doubt. We do not have to wonder. It's not just hope. It's we know. We know. And so it goes on, and it talks about some, some, some issues and some problems. It says, you know, wrong chapter. It says, Christ 
Is it the right hand interceding for us? And then it says, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And I love the emphatic Allah that comes here. The emphatic word for but. The NIV translates it, no. And that captures kind of the, 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 the emphatic nature of the word. No! Let this again. In all things, in all these things, remember, all things, we just had that, right? All things work together. Christ is for us, God will give us all things. We have another all things. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not a, not a, not a flip-flop Christian life. Not a weak Christian life. Not a faith that gets into heaven by the skin of our teeth. Brothers and sisters, if you're getting in by the skin of your teeth, you're not getting in because teeth don't have any skin. <laughs> you ever thought about that? <laughs> no, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That is the kind of life that God calls us to. This is walking eternity on earth. The presence of the future. Eternal life isn't a reality that we will experience. It is an experience that is real. Today and every day. Because in all things, God is shaping us. God is changing us. God is transforming us. As a pastor, I've done many, I've, I've been at many funerals. I've been at, at, at bedsides when people have, have been ushered into heaven. Um, I've had my share of, of experiences with death. Personally, I think it's good for Christians to go to a funeral occasionally because it, it reminds us of our mortality and our weakness. As a pastor, you share God's word. You share the comfort. You share what God gives. But what about when it happens to you? What about when it's an unexpected death in your family? What about when it's your little brother? This is my story. And I remember very clearly getting a phone call. Actually, I don't have to, I'm a storyteller. <laughs> And I'm looking at the clock and the clock is saying, don't tell. <laughs> Just, I'll, I'll cut it short. I come home from, from church on Sunday evening. You know, my apartment is, is up at the front. Our parking space is at the very back of the, of the apartments. So my wife hears the car come in. I'm walking down the driveway after a, a wonderful blessed day of, of serving and worshiping. And I'm walking up to the house and my wife greets me about halfway down this, you know, 200 foot driveway. And she says, honey, don't be alarmed. What a, what's the response? What are you going to respond? Don't, don't, don't be alarmed. <gasps> what's wrong? <laughs> That's how, I mean, it's, you just invited me to be alarmed. <laughs> don't be alarmed. But your older brother just left a message. I think something bad happened to your little brother. Okay, now I'm totally alarmed. Now, this is the little brother that I grew up with. He was always as big as me. Two years younger, I cannot remember the day that he was not as big as me. You know what that means, right? 
That means we fought all the time. It means that we wore each other's clothes. It means that we slept in the same bed. It means that we, we hung out together all the time. We were, we, were, we were close. And we had just been to Oklahoma and spent a week with this little brother because I felt in my heart, God wanted me to go spend time with my little brother. My mom got mad at me. She said, you're supposed to be spending time at our house. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she got mad at me. But I, you know, I told my wife, I, th I think we need to be with him. And we did. And my little brother was going through a lot at that time. And, and so it was really good. He poured out his heart to me. And we're just talking weeks later, literally. And I pick up the phone. And my brother says to me, Dan, Jeff is dead. How do you respond? What do you say? Well, first there was anger. I went out in the car and sat by myself and I just yelled at my little brother. You idiot. What'd you go and do that for? It was an accident. He wasn't careful. And I was listening to the Christian radio as we were on our way to the airport to fly back to Oklahoma. And Chuck Swindoll came on the, on, on the radio and he spoke from Psalm 30, verse five, second half of the verse. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now the shoe was on the other foot and God met me right then and there. And I opened God's word and I read the verses and God met me. It's real, brothers and sisters. It's real. God with us is real. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us because in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him and been called according to his purposes. When we can learn to see eternity and eternal life each and every day, we start living the relationship with God and everything else falls into place. It's not about striving to be good. It's not about striving to obey. It's about learning to journey in the heart of Jesus. It is good and it is real. May you know that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for calling us to be here this day to let your word speak into our lives to let us hear your voice calling to each one of us and saying, come away, my beloved. Learn me, know me. Journey with me. May we hear your invitation 
And may we say, here am I, Lord. May I be yours. Lord, our prayer today is that we would know you and you would make us wholly yours so that in all things, in all things, we are more than conquerors and we see your hand working in our lives. In Jesus' name.